at the beginning of Marvel's movie, Ant-Man, there is a scene at Baskin-Robbins. And this customer comes in, and he asks for a burger. And the character that plays Ant-Man says, oh, we don't make that. And the customer says, well, pretzel, pretzel, hot, hot, hot pretzel with, with mustard to dip it in. And, and the, the employee, Ant-Man, looks at him and says, it's ice cream. It, it's Baskin-Robbins. The customer, undeterred by this re rebuke, says, I'll just take whatever you have that's hot and fresh. <laughs> when you go to an ice cream shop, you probably shouldn't expect them to make you a hot meal. And if you go to a health food store, maybe you shouldn't expect them to provide you with cheesecake. But people too often look in the wrong places for the wrong things. And they look for information to life's most important questions far too often in the wrong place. If you're looking for relationship advice, I'm going to give you a word of counsel. Don't turn on a primetime TV drama and hope that that primetime TV drama will give you excellent relationship advice. It does, in fact, the very opposite of that. And if you are looking for relationship advice, probably picking up the latest romance novel is not going to help you very much. It's looking for the wrong thing in the wrong place. It's not going to help you. Where does a person go for answers to life's most important questions? Very important question to answer. Psychology and sociology begin by studying human behavior. They study by uh, figuring out human responses, and their processes begin with something flawed, and they are seeking to come up with some kind of a solution based upon something flawed. And while some of their advice may be helpful to navigate through life, they do not have the answers to life's most important questions. Theology, the study of God, is rooted in a knowledge of God and the inspired Word of God. We call it the Bible. And it begins with God, who is perfect and created a perfect universe, and it seeks to look to Him for answers to life's most important questions. He is the designer of life. He is the designer of man. He is the designer of relationships. And what God's Word declares on issues of life is of utmost importance. As we read the Bible, the Bible clearly gives us information about who we are. God reveals to us our sinful thoughts and our sinful deeds. And as we uncover the sinfulness of our hearts, we have to look to God for solutions to those things. And that's exactly what the Bible also uncovers for us. Not only pointing out the problem that I'm a sinner and my heart is deceitful and turning away from the things of the Lord and away from things that are uh, leading toward right relationships and particularly a right relationship with God. 
he also points out what will bring the solution to that deceptiveness of my own heart. He's pointed it out by sending his own son, Jesus Christ. He has provided for us salvation. Our study this morning will be based in Luke 24. You're already there. We read it already one time in our scripture reading. We want to read it again. Luke 24, beginning in verse 1. I'll read. You please follow along. Verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how He told you while He was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and He must be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered His words. This morning, what we're going to notice as we look through this passage is three realities about how God deals with our problem of sin. Three realities of how God deals with our problem of sin. And he does this by communicating through two dazzling men. (laughs) Men in dazzling apparel. Angels. Messengers of God. They were shining uh, in in a unique way. And what we'll notice is these three concepts. We'll list them here and then work our way through them. First of all, God tells us we are looking for solutions in the wrong place. We'll see that in verse 5. Secondly, God accomplishes the supernatural. We'll see that in verse 6. And finally, God repeatedly tells us the truth. We'll see that in verses 6-8 through and some other passages that affirm that reality. God repeatedly teaches us, tells us the truth. So the first reality about how God deals with our problem of sin is that God tells us we are looking for solutions in the wrong place. It's obvious that the love of Jesus Christ had impacted these uh, ladies that were headed to the tomb. And the reason that we can know that is they saw Him hanging on a cross just a few days earlier. They saw Him. And, and they knew that He was buried in this tomb. It was the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. It was someone else's tomb. Jesus' body is laid there. And they go there that morning with the thought, not that, oh, I think He'll be risen from the dead. I think He's been raised from the dead. They don't go there with that thought. They go there with spices. They're going to finish the process of His burial. Now, Jesus had made them all kinds of promises. And it felt to them that Friday, that Saturday, and even more, again, that Sunday, that those promises, they weren't coming to pass. So they came, and they were going to prepare His body for His final burial. They brought the spices, and lo and behold, something else happened when they arrived. The love of Jesus had 
impacted these. They wanted to care for his body. In verse 1, we read it already. They took the spices that they had prepared. Then they arrived there in verses 2 through 4. They found something different than they expected. They found the stone rolled away. Hey, what's going on here? That was sealed. He's, he's in there. It was sealed. Why is the, the stone rolled away? Why is the tomb open? Verse uh, 3, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Oh no. Now what? Not only is the stone rolled away, his body is not there. Someone took him. How are we going to do this now? How will we care for him now? And then they were kind of taken aback in verse 5. Because uh, in verse 4, they saw these two men in dazzling apparel. And it says at the beginning of verse 5 that they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. They were startled by the presence of these angels. And you have to love what... The first words these angels declare. I, this, this, to me, resonates in my mind. It, it resounds through my brain. Listen again to the beginning of verse 6. Why do you... It's the end of verse 5, sorry. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why did you come to a tomb to find he who was alive? What a great question. And I think, if you could just go in your mind with me, people are still doing this today. They're still looking for life from sources that only know and can produce death. Every single day, people are looking for solutions to their problems. And they may get temporary solutions. They may get a medicine that helps them prolong their physical life. That's good. We commend it. If, if you can get a medicine to help your physical life, go for it. It will never deal with your eternal destiny. There's no medicine. There's no pill. There's no script that deals with your eternal destiny. People are still looking for life among the dead. Rather than looking to the author of life, our society looks to our own ingenuity, our own accumulated wisdom. What we have noticed is that there are no eternal solutions among the dead. This world offers no hope beyond the grave. This world offers no hope beyond the grave. It can't. It doesn't have the resources. People look for love in all the wrong places. People look for wisdom in all the wrong places. And they look for solutions in all the wrong places. People who are on the road to death cannot provide you with life. They can't. But the one who conquered death, the one who was victorious over death, He can provide you not with just physical life. He can provide you with eternal spiritual life. He conquered the grave. He conquered death. He conquered sin. He conquered Satan. He can provide you with life. And He's the only one who can provide you with life. People look for solutions in the wrong places. Jesus is the source of life. Listen to what He said in John 
5.26. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. Listen to what He said then in John 17. He's praying to the Father. Listen to what He says in verses 2 and 3. Since you have given Him, the Son of Man, authority over all flesh to give eternal life. To give. To grant eternal life to all whom you have given Him. And this, listen carefully, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. He has life in Himself, and He grants life to those who come to Him. So the question has to be asked, have you come to Him for life? Have you sought life in the only one who can give life? Jesus, the Son of God, who lived perfectly, who died as a perfect atonement for your sin, was buried. And according to the power, might, and glory of God, he was raised, raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Have you come to him? The first reality that we notice about how God deals with our problem of sin in this passage is that we are looking for solutions in the wrong places. Second reality that we notice about God's dealing with our sin is that God accomplishes the supernatural. Look at the beginning of verse 6. Will you, will you read the first sentence of verse 6 with me? Ready? He is not here, but has risen. Wow, that was good. He is not here, but has risen. This is the proclamation of these angelic beings that are representing the Word of God to the people. They're declaring the Word of God to these who came to anoint Jesus' body, to prepare Jesus' body, to, to finish this burial. And they instead find an empty tomb and this announcement he is not here he has risen god does the supernatural this is important for us because we need the supernatural we're in desperate need take a look please at first corinthians 15 you're in luke take a right through the gospel of john then you'll find acts then romans and then you'll find first corinthians we're going to go to first corinthians chapter 15 jesus was not there he was raised. This powerful demonstration of God's supernatural work is the most significant event in history. In fact, you could say it even a little more broadly, it's the most significant event in eternity. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have nothing. All we would have is this meager life. Oh, filled with lots of fun. Filled with lots of joys. We can call them dainties. I like the word dainty, don't you? Lots of little dainties, little pleasures. Oh yes, uh, we can eat this and we can do this and we can go there and we can see this and we can feel this. Hear this? All these senses. We have these senses. Great. It's filled with it. But if that's all we have, you know, as, as you get older, and 
Sorry to say, I think you've probably experienced it, many of you. Your senses get a little bit less sensory. They're a little dimmer. Things don't taste exactly the way they did. They don't look exactly the way they did. They don't, don't sound exactly the way they did. They don't feel exactly the way they did. Everything's changing. This life is not all there is. Because if, if it were, man, as you get older, you think, uh-oh. Wow, there's not much left. What am I going to do now? But when a person knows Jesus, all the senses that they're losing for this life are almost awakened to, to vivid imagination as you come because you know that which is real that which is real is on the doorstep. I'm about to experience what life really is like. We, in this life, if this is all we had, it would be miserable. But because we know that Christ has risen, as we draw toward the end, we start to say, here it comes. Here it comes. I don't like the process between the here it comes and where I am right now. Nobody likes the dimming and pain and the sorrow that takes place between the now and the then. But the then is glorious. Listen to this passage. Uh, The affirmation. This comes from the Apostle Paul. Of course, it's the inspired written word of God. But this written by the Apostle Paul, who was at one point a an opponent of the church, an opponent of Jesus Christ. He hated Jesus. He hated that the Christians that followed after Jesus, in fact, he was persecuting them, but God made him alive. God gave him life, and God called him for a particular purpose, and he now was proclaiming the very faith that at one point he tried to destroy. Listen to what he stakes his life on. This one who once tried to destroy the church, was converted, was born again, and followed after Jesus Christ, and then represented Jesus Christ, he was staking his life on the fact of the resurrection. Listen to these words, starting in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 15. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the Twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. He came to salvation. He came to true birth, spiritual birth, later than the rest of them. But Jesus appeared to him. He knew, and he staked his life. He went to prison, and he gave his life based upon what he writes here in 1 Corinthians 15. Why? Because he knew that Jesus indeed had risen. Look a little further at the text. The significance if the resurrection didn't take place. Verses 12 and following. What if the resurrection never took place? What if Jesus stayed in that tomb and the reality was that his followers actually 
uh, stole his body and hid it so that no one would ever find it. What, what, would that, what would the implications of that be? Well, he, he deals with that in verses 12 and following. Listen carefully. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. And not only that, your faith is vain, empty, nothing, worthless. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified that God, we testified about God, that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, pointless, empty, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they are dead indeed. It says they are perished. There's nothing, no hope. They're just in a grave. That's it. If there's no resurrection, everyone you love just goes in the tomb, and that's it. Verse 19. And if Christ, excuse me, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Oof, this would be so sad if that's the way the verse ended, the way the, the chapter ended. He's talking about resurrection. And if you have no hope in this life, it's just, what is the point of it all? We're preaching this thing, we're preaching it, but if Christ isn't raised because people aren't raised, then we're wasting everyone's time. But he tells us, in verse 20, we're going to read there in just a moment, he tells us of the reality so that we can know that we too have hope. And that not only is Christ raised, we can be raised. Oh, if in this life only, verse 19, we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. In fact, Christ, what does it say? Has been raised from the dead. Do you believe that? God does the supernatural. And only He can do this. The fact that Jesus rose from the grave tells us that we also, as believers in Jesus Christ, will rise. We're, he's the first fruits of those who sleep. We will die too. And those who have trusted Christ, we will rise like He rose. It's glorious. The basis of our faith and our eternal life with God is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen to Acts 1-3 where the Apostle Luke writes, to these He also presented Himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of things concerning the kingdom of God. Why did they believe? Why did Luke continue to follow? Why, why did Luke assist Paul in all of his missionary journeys? Why was Luke there with Paul to the very end? Why? Because he knew that Jesus had been raised from the dead. Many convincing truths. Many infallible proofs is how it reads in another version. He is not here. He has risen. Just as He 
said. Only God can do this. Only God can raise the dead. Did you know? Did you know that you were born spiritually dead? Ephesians 2.1 says this, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You know, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit, based upon the clear word of God and the work of Jesus Christ, that we can be made spiritually alive. God can make us spiritually alive through His Spirit and the Gospel. The Gospel is the good news that Jesus came to to die on the cross for a sinner like me and a sinner like you. And that not only did He die on that cross and was buried, but that He rose again. God can make a sinner like me alive. Listen to what Paul's testimony in Titus 3.5 was. Titus 3.5 He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy. How? By the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Washing. God takes the Word of God, the Gospel, and reveals our sin and reveals God's solution for our sin and the Spirit turns the lights on. He makes us alive. Regeneration is to be born again. The Spirit does this. Not because we're good. Not because we do something good. But because God is good. And He has done something good. Through His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the testimony of Paul. See, we we look for solutions in the wrong places. God does the supernatural. He can deal with these things. The third concept that we want to notice as we go back to Luke chapter 24 is that God repeatedly tells us the truth. God repeatedly tells us the truth. I'll be honest with you, there are difficult portions of Scripture. The Bible, there there are things that are hard to understand. There are things that people that have studied the Bible for years and years and years, they come together and they don't agree. People that both believe in the resurrected Christ. People that both have the Spirit of God dwelling within them. People that are both very careful with the things of of God's Word, the Bible. And they can come to different conclusions. There are difficult things in the Bible. But that's not the general curriculum. (laughs) Those are just points. Points along the way that are difficult. Most of the Bible is very easy to understand. Easy enough for a child to understand what they need to know. You see, as you read the Bible, God is revealing repeatedly your sin and His solution. He says it again and again and again because we are thick-headed. Here these ladies are. They love Jesus. And they come, they saw him on the cross, they've been mourning. What, I, I thought this was the one, I thought this was it. I thought we had, had the solution, I thought he was going to release us from the Romans, I thought we were going to have the kingdom coming in, I thought all of our dreams were going to come true. This is what we thought. It didn't happen, they come and they're going to go to the, the tomb and they're going to 
prepare his body. They've got the spices. There they are. The stones rolled away. They walk in. He's not there. Oh, these other guys are there. And they say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Listen to what he says at the end of verse 6. Remember. Oh, good words. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day? He was going to rise. And they, what does it say? Remembered his words. Because he had said it, and said it, and said it again. God is faithful to repeatedly tell us the truth. I want to just show you, just from the Gospel of Luke, at a few passages. Take a look at Luke chapter 9. You know, the way that the followers of Jesus reacted to this whole thing of Jesus' crucifixion and burial, one would make the assumption that they had no clue that it was coming. But Jesus had told them numerous times about these events. They should have been well aware. The information had been before them. Listen to what he says in Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 21. It says, And he strictly charged them and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. He's saying this to his disciples. These ladies were from among the disciples. They didn't get it. Look a little later in the same chapter, down at verse uh, 43. Jesus had just uh, cast a demon out of a young boy. Look at verses 43 and following. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. Stop. If you tell that to your kids, hey, listen up, you kind of hope they're going to listen to the rest of what you have to say, right? Hey, this is really, really important. Pay attention to this one. And the way my dad did it, he just said it again and again and again. Everything has just so many clicks. Yes, it's clicking in my mind right now. Be at the gatepost waiting. That was one of his expressions. Leave leave my my dad's car. He dropped me off somewhere. Honor your father and your mother. Same thing. Reiteration. Let these words sink down into your ears. You can't say it a whole lot clearer. What words? Let's see. Verse 44 again. Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand the saying. And it was concealed. Oh, concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Let this sink into your ears. Nope. (laughs) Not happening. Look a little further. Look at Luke 18. And I'll draw your attention to verse 31, please. Luke 18, 31. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. Anything else? <laughs> and on the third day, he will rise. 
but they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. But you know, after having this truth conveyed to them, leading up to the crucifixion, we come to the other side of the crucifixion, and they come, and they they don't get it. They come to the tomb. They're going to prepare his body, and the stone is rolled away. And the tomb is empty. And these guys in beautiful clothing are there. And they say, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is risen. He's not here. He is risen. Don't you remember? Don't you remember that he was going to be turned over, delivered over, crucified, buried? Don't you remember that on the third day he would rise? Verse 8 says, and they remembered these words. Light bulb. How'd that happen? God made that happen. Do you think they wanted to know? They gave their lives to follow after Jesus. They wanted to know. For some reason, they couldn't get it in their head until God said, I want you to know me, and I want you to understand what I've done. Look a little further. Look at Luke 24. Jesus walks with two men on the road to Emmaus. They have no idea who he is. They're all upset. What's the problem? Don't you know what happened? I might know a thing or two about what happened. And he goes to the Psalms and the prophets, the, the law and the prophets, and he tells them the things about himself. And eventually he opens their eyes so that they understand. And they, in reflection, say, didn't our hearts burn within us when he told us about himself? Look down at verse 44. Luke 24, 44. We have another scene. After that scene with the men on the road to Emmaus, now, now we've got Jesus with his disciples. We'll start in verse 41. It says, While they still disbelieved, for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, and the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of My Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power or endued with power from on high. Jesus is opening their eyes. He tells them the content of His preaching. It's been about this. I've been telling you. But it was also in the law. It was also in the writings. It was also in the prophets about Me that I would die, that I would give My life, and that I'd be risen, that I would rise from the the grave. I've told you these things. And now they understand because God unlocked their unbelief. He removed the darkness. The veil had been taken away. That's what 
That's what we need. Without God taking that veil away, we remain in our unbelief. God does the supernatural. We talked about it already. We seek in all the wrong places. God does the supernatural. And Jesus and God repeatedly telling us the truth about Himself again and again. This content that Jesus is talking about of the death, burial, and resurrection was to be the content of their preaching. And it was to be the content of our preaching. That Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I can attest, like the Apostle Paul, of whom I am the foremost. I'm not better than you. I'm not better than my neighbor. I'm not better than the guy down on the street, on the corner time. And again, I'm not, I'm not better than the guy laying on a s- sidewalk that's a homeless, has nowhere to go. I'm not better than him. I'm not better than anybody. I, I am the chiefest of sinners. Jesus Christ came into the world to save the chiefest of sinners. That means He can save me, and that means He can save you. This is the content of our preaching. It's the content of our faith that God is able to raise up that which is dead. Jesus lived for us, He died for us, and He was raised for us. In Him there is forgiveness of sin, And there is the granting of eternal life. Jesus is alive forevermore. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus is alive forevermore, and you can be too. You can be alive forevermore. This is the promise of the resurrection. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Trust Christ. Turn from your sin. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. The difference may be I've turned from my sin. I recognize it's not helping me. This is, this is going to bring condemnation. But I turn from my sin. I turn to Christ. I need salvation and forgiveness. And when someone comes to Christ, guess what He does? He gives forgiveness. And when someone comes to Christ, guess what He gives? Eternal redemption. He gives life. You can't find it anywhere else. There's nowhere else to find it. Don't ask Baskin-Robbins to make you a fresh cheeseburger. They don't do that. Well, don't ask your psychologist. Don't ask your sociologist. Don't ask your behavioral health specialist to save your soul. Because they can't. They can't do that. But I know someone who can. Him, we preach. Warning every man. Pleading with every man. Be reconciled to God. Jesus, this one who can give you life. This one who can give you eternal salvation. He was crucified to pay the penalty for your sin. He was buried. You know why he was buried? So that you would know, so that I would know, so that the world would know that he was dead. Dead as dead can be. But he was raised. He was raised, and he lives forever. He was raised, and he triumphed over death, and he triumphed over sin. Jesus is alive. His life means that all those who come to trust him as their Savior, as their only means of eternal salvation, will live also. Jesus is alive 
and Jesus will live forever. The question is, will you live forever? Will you be raised unto eternal life with God? Will you be raised unto eternal life with God? That's the question only you can answer. You and the Lord. The good news is, you can have this taken care of today. You can have assurance today. In just a moment, we're going to pray, and then we're going to sing. And after that last song, if you want someone to help you from the Scriptures to know that you have eternal life, that you understand the significance of Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection, come, come down at the end of the service. There'll be people ready ready to spend time with you, turning in the Bible to show you how you can be sure you have eternal life. Don't leave. Don't leave without this assurance. It's the greatest gift. This is why this is the greatest celebration in eternity. The resurrection. It's everything to us. Because Jesus is risen, I will rise as well. Let's pray together. Father, you're good. Your word is true. The work has been done. It is finished. And you confirmed it with the resurrection. Father, only you know what's going on in the hearts of people here and watching online. We pray that you would give life, that people would have eternal, abundant life. Accomplish your fruitful work. In Jesus' name, amen.